0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. You guys are debating on clapping. That's fine. Like, I don't know if I'm going to clap for him or not, but I guess we will. Uh, glad you guys are here. Uh, Jonathan's preaching at the Sunrise Service. So that'll be fun. I'm going to preach at all the others. I don't know if that's how I'm going to advertise my invite, though. Hey, come to the services I'm preaching, because they'll be like, no, we've heard you before, man. Uh, no, but uh, I'm excited. Jonathan's going to help me out. I told him, can you do the Sunrise Service, because I typically, I just struggle with sleep. I've always struggled with sleep. So, uh, but by God's grace, I've been getting a lot of sleep lately, so I- I'm feeling really good. Uh Yesterday, we did the Unleashed event. I want to show you a picture of it. Um, This was really cool. We had uh, several... um, The room was packed. We had several uh, churches uh, from different parts of the valley. We had six different speaking uh, speakers, three different seminary presidents, uh, three other local pastors here in the valley. Um, It was incredible. It was really cool. Um, I was pleasantly surprised how well it went, actually. Um, in, the, in the conference event season in Phoenix right now, you know every hotel is booked up, spring training's in full session. By the way, I tried to go to a Cubs game the other day, uh, Cubs and Car- Diamondbacks. It was packed out, sold out. I couldn't even get in. So uh, it's a busy season in the Phoenix Valley, and uh, this conference filled up. It was just incredible. And so uh, for all those that you guys volunteered, can we just celebrate and say thank you to those guys for making that possible? Yeah. It was cool. Um, yeah, one of the cool stories was, uh, this is the next, the next picture, is a, a story of a, a young uh, uh, second generation uh, Korean church. This is all their ministry staff. There's like not one guy or girl in there over 30. Like they're all 20 something. I'm like, I feel like an old man. I'm 40, and these are all the young leaders in in the city. Uh, But they said to me, Ryan, we are so thankful for for the opportunity to be a part of this. Uh, We signed up our ministry staff and our ministry team leaders, volunteer leaders, because it was affordable and it was accessible for this one uh, local event. So again, it was really encouraging to see all the different people uh, come. I mean, we even had one guy Uh, from the LDS Church, who's a scholar from the LDS Church background, attending our conference. And so God's using this church, guys, uh, not simply to reach the North Valley for Jesus Christ, but also to be an encouragement to other churches and and ministry leaders all around the valley. So again, I'm just thankful to be your pastor and thankful we've got a church culture, uh, volunteers and people that give and serve to help make that possible. So um, this morning um, I'm going to be jumping into Matthew chapter six. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. Uh, we'll have it on the screens as well for those of you that are new. Um, we've been in a series called Treasure, and so the tagline is: "Is where your treasure is, there your heart is also." So that's what we're looking at this morning: is issues of the heart. How's the heart doing? That's, that's what Jesus cares about the most: is your heart. How's your week been? What have things been going on in your life? Um, The heart, uh, Old Testament mindset and the New Testament mindset too, is the heart is kind of the center of one's being. Most important work you can do is pay attention to your heart, to just your life, the center of your being. How's it going? Uh, Part one, we talked about treasures on earth, and Jesus said, don't store them up. Part two, uh, we talked about treasures in heaven, and Jesus said, actually, you do want to store up treasures in heaven. And uh, we're going to see more of that today, is that you can actually make an investment now on earth for an investment in a treasure in heaven, according to Jesus. But then we're, today, we're going to be looking at treasures of the heart and seeking God first above all things, what that looks like. Here's what the passage says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in in steel, but lay up for yourselves treasures in what? Heaven, where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in, in steel. So he's saying you need to store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. For where your treasure is, Matthew 6.21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The idea is, is that or wherever you spend your money, or wherever you spend uh, your resources on, will indicate what you value. Uh, so, if you, you know, for me, if you were to look at my budget, and you would see, I mean, we do spend we spend money on going out to eat. Why? Because my wife and I love to spend time together. Um, we give money to the church, uh, you know, because we believe that God's going to use this church, and everything is His, and so. If you were to look at my budget or look at your budget, that will be a great indication of what you value, what you like. And Jesus is uh, really the best investor uh, advisor we could uh, rely upon. But he gives a great warning in verse 24. Look what he says. He says, "'But listen, no one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money.'" We're going to get to why Jesus would say that. The word that he uses for money right there is actually like personified like a rival God. And uh, one of the greatest case studies that we could look at for understanding this issue of treasuring Christ above treasure, uh, earthly treasures, is the case study of the rich young ruler. So flip over Matthew chapter 19, um, the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus talks a lot about money. He actually talked uh, about, he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. 15% of Jesus' teaching is on money. He talked about money more than heaven and hell. Um, but he's after really about issues of the heart. And the story of the rich young ruler is a very important one. Um, I want to encourage you not to just read this and think that, that you're not rich. Rich. Um, You are rich according to even Forbes magazine. Forbes magazine said this, that the poor in the U.S. are richer than more than 70% of the world's population. Um, Average global income around the world is $1,200 a year. If you make over $34,000 a year in the United States alone, you are considered in the globally elite people on all the world. So Jerry Jeff Foxworthy said, you might be a redneck if, I've said this before, you might be rich if. You might be rich if you have food in the fridge. You might be rich if you have clothes on your back. You might be rich if you have uh, a roof over your head or a place to sleep. You might be rich if you woke up this morning with more health than you did with illness. And by the way, you're more blessed than a million people who won't survive this week due to illness in the world. Uh, you might be rich if you've never experienced the danger of battle, loneliness, imprisonment, agony, torture, or the pains of starvation. If you might be rich if you can attend church without the fear of harassment, arrest, or torture, or death. You might be rich if you have money in the bank or in your wallet, spare change in some dish or in your ashtray, in your car. If you've got any money on you at all, uh, or a debit card that has access to funds really easily, you just might be rich. Uh, if you can read the words that are on the screen today, any of them, you're rich. That's what research says. So when we read the Bible, one of the coolest things that you can do is place yourself in the storyline. And I would say, place yourself in the shoes of the rich young ruler today. So here's the story. And behold, a man came up to him saying teacher, he's talking to Jesus, this young, rich, wealthy guy, very religious, but didn't really understand who Jesus was, knew he was a teacher. Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? Fair question. You know, what do I need to do? I want life. I want eternal life. Here you're talking about eternal life. And he said to him, why do you ask me, Jesus responds back, why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. And if you were If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. That's what he says. And he he said to him, which ones? The young guy wants to know, which which commandments are you talking about? Basically, because he's got them all figured out. And he says, Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all of these I have kept what do I still lack? Uh, this guy, to me, sounds a little arrogant that he's done everything perfect. Now, granted, you look at this, and you're like, of course, well, he's probably a good guy. He probably didn't murder anybody, and he probably didn't commit adultery. He's a, a wealthy, a influential guy, you know, and you're, you're saying, Pastor Ryan, you asked me to place myself in his shoes. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery. And you may be saying, and, you know, bearing false witness, honoring the father and mother, okay, maybe I haven't done the greatest in that area of honoring mom and dad. um, And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe I haven't done that. Well, this guy thinks he's done everything perfectly. And what the biggest problem is, is that if you were to flip over in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, that he actually took this a lot more serious uh, when he was listing out some of the Ten Commandments. That's what Jesus is quoting. He actually says, you've heard it said that you shall not murder. But then Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever, he said, listen to me, you may not have murdered somebody, but if you have anger in your heart and malicious intent against somebody, you've basically already murdered the person. You've committed that sin. Then he went further to say about the issue of adultery. He said, you've heard it say you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, but I tell you, if you lust in your heart after another woman, he was speaking to a group of men, you've already committed adultery. Jesus is looking at the, the sin behind the sin, the issue behind the issue. That's how Jesus is, 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 is revolutionary and different. We're not looking at just the fruit. We're looking at the root issues. And this young guy, the biggest deal is, is he's, he's self-deceived. He thinks he's perfect. And really, I would say he lacked, there's no remorse, there's no repentance, there's no acknowledgement, and he lacks repentance. What is repentance? Just walk with me for a moment. Repentance is one of the biggest deal. This is the problem of the rich young ruler. He doesn't understand remorse. He doesn't understand uh, repentance. He thinks he's perfect. Repentance in the Christian life is so important. Repentance is is, uh, acknowledging that you sin and then choosing to turn away from your sin. And sin is anything that violates God's holy, righteous, and just laws, His Word, His ways. And you and I sin every single day. I'm, I'm a pastor. I sin every day. There's something in my head that goes off wrong. I don't fully, fully love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I mean, I just can't do that. So, you know, I, we need to turn from sin and then turn towards the Savior. And it's, uh, you do, uh, Repentance is three things. It's not in your outline, but you might want to write this down. It's contrition. It's your heart. There's a sense of remorse. There's no remorse with this guy. So he's not going to find Jesus as the Savior because there's no remorse. There's no contrition of the heart. He thinks he's perfect. Um, second part of repentance is, is a Confession. There's a confession to the Lord. Lord, I need you. We sing that song, Lord, I need you. Like, you need the Lord. Repentance is is turning from sin, turning towards the Savior. It's confession. Lord, I need you. And then it's confession to anybody that you've offended in your marriage. If you don't figure out the issue of repentance, then there's never going to be change. So repentance is contrition, repentance is confession, confessing to the Lord first, then to the spouse if you're in a marriage or to the other offending person, the person you've offended. And then lastly, repentance is, is change. It's a commitment to change. The rich young ruler's biggest problem is, is that he thinks he's good. I got it figured out. Jesus, I don't need you. I mean, why would he need a Savior if he can't acknowledge he's done anything wrong? How do you you get a savior, Jesus, call him Lord and savior of your life if you don't acknowledge that you need a savior? What do you need saving from? You need saving from a life of of sin. This guy's uh, problem, Jesus is going to put his uh, finger on his biggest problem. He's going to point it out. Look what it says. It says, Jesus said to him, Jesus said to him, if you'd be perfect because you act so perfect, why don't you go sell what you you possess and give to the poor? The the constant correlation between giving and the treasures in heaven. And you'll have treasures in heaven. And come follow me. So there's an invitation. I want you to give your stuff away and I want you to follow me. Jesus is inviting him. He's not leaving him out. You need to know Jesus actually really loves this rich young guy a lot. Another one of the gospel writers uh, records that Jesus really loved this guy. Um, he says, come follow me. When the young man heard this, here's the response. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So a question is, is why did Jesus say that? Why did Jesus tell him he has to leave all his possessions, give it all away? And the first reason is, is because money was his master. Money was his God. If anything is in place of a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's called idolatry. That's violating one of the greatest commandments. Thou shall have no other God before me. Uh, the word that appears here in the scripture in the Greek is mammon. And it really means Christ sees it as an egocentric covetedness, which claims a man's heart and thereby estranges him from God. The issue was, is that this guy had mammon. He had a rival God. All his attention, all his affections, all his mindset was all around. His happiness was wrapped up in possession, wealth, affluence. And Jesus says, that's not it. You can only have one master. Jesus wants to be that master. Uh, mammon is personified as a rival God it's in matthew six twenty four it's also mentioned at just one other time in luke six sixteen thirteen Mammon is the word so first question was is why did Jesus say that I'll say because Mammon was his God money was his God money's not evil uh, the Bible says that it's the love of money that's evil um, and the second question I had was Uh, as I was approaching this, is, uh, does Jesus hate rich people? And I thought, because, I mean, you've heard it said, Jesus said, hey, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. You've heard Jesus say that, and he says that. Uh, But I want to list out to you, no, I don't think Jesus hates rich people. I think Jesus warns rich people, and you and I are rich. Um, rich people in the Old Testament, there was Abraham, who, who was rich in cattle, silver and gold. There was Isaac, who had possessions of flocks and great storehouses. And there was Jacob, who was rich, and, and he, he had so many cattle. And then there was Joseph, a wealthy, wealthy individual, served as the prime minister of Egypt. And there was David. It says in the scriptures that he was full of days of riches and honor. And there was Solomon, King Solomon, he was king of the earth, filled with riches and wisdom. There was Job. The Bible says that the Lord restored to Job tw- double his fortune. In the New Testament, there was Joseph of Arimathea who donated a tomb for Jesus. There was Zacchaeus, the tax collector, who was wealthy. He was a cheat and a scam artist. He comes to Jesus, is exposed, comes to faith in Christ, and then repays everybody, uh, out of generosity. There was Joanna and Susanna who provide out of their resources for Jesus's ministry. There was women who accompanied Jesus. There's Mary Magdalene. There's the Roman centurion who paid for a building worship facility. There was Barnabas who sold land and laid it at the apostles' feet. There was Lydia who opened up the first church in Europe in her home. The Bible's filled with great examples of wealthy people that did it right. There's also examples of people that did it wrong, wealthy people that did it wrong. Ananias and Sapphira, they sold land and tried to deceive the church about the proceeds. There was the rich Christians that James wrote about in James chapter 2 that exploited the poor and sued others for gain and greed. There was Simon the sorcerer who longed for spiritual power and thought it could be bought or sold. And then here is the story of the rich young ruler. So God loves the poor, God loves the rich, God loves people. So here's the question how to tell when the heart isn't treasuring Christ? Symptom number one is trying to earn salvation. If you can earn your salvation, then you're going to be prideful and arrogant, and you don't need a Savior. Why do we need Jesus if we could if we could earn our way to heaven? Jesus is supposed to be the bridge. He's the only perfect one. Look what this guy says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Uh, what can I do? It's, it's really, I mean, it's a fair question, but he's got the wrong theology. He can't earn his way into heaven. He, he's a very religious person. I think uh, within our church, we have about a third of you guys come from Catholic backgrounds. Uh, my grandmother was Catholic. Uh, lots of friends that are Catholic. One of the the biggest uh, generous people in the early days of the church was a Catholic guy, Uh, didn't even go to our church. I just have a great relationship, gave tremendously to our church. Um, There's a bunch of Catholics. I know many of you come from a Catholic background. There's a a third of you that are come from non-church backgrounds. And then there's about a third of you that are come from historical, orthodox, uh, evangelical churches. And you're here, and I'm glad you're here two big parts. The folks of you, if you came from a non-church background or if you come from a background of Catholicism, you tend to be more works-oriented. Let me show you a a religious mindset. This is three ways to live is, is Jesus is fighting the paradigm of a religious lifestyle. Religion says, if I obey or I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Catholics generally try to work really hard to ensure that they're going to be accepted by God. Non-churched people that come into our church tend to think, what do I need to do to be good with God? The gospel is very different. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, irreligion, you guys know this. This is a story of my life. I was irreligious for a very, very long time. Um, I just live as a please, Do what I want to do. Say what I want to say. Well, here's a song about that. Uh, so you just do what you do. That's that's irreligion. Jesus isn't dealing with the rich young ruler who's irreligious. He's dealing with a very religious mindset that if he does all these things, he's accepted, and he's loved, and he's perfect, and he has eternal life. The gospel is very different. It says, I'm accepted by Christ, work on the cross. I got all these flaws. I'm imperfect, but I'm accepted because of the work of Jesus Christ. He's the only perfect one. And by turning from my sin and turning towards the Savior, I find acceptance. At the greatest low of your weakness, you can find the greatest strength of God. In the midst of the deepest sadness of your sin, you can find a Savior who heals and redeems and restores. And the Christian message, what Jesus is actually inviting this guy to, is, hey, follow me. I'm the only good one, is what he's trying to hint at. And therefore, out of that love of following Christ, therefore, you obey. Uh, Jesus never actually commands adult followers to grow up and act like adults. Jesus actually commands adult followers to act like children. Because a, 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 a follower of Jesus needs to have the faith of a child there's something about a child that wants the praise of a parent the other day I was at a baseball game with my son and Sam has started to play baseball at Norterra Canyon and it's so cool and he's he's crazy good I have no idea I, we didn't know he had this hidden talent he was playing football and he didn't want to play baseball and now he's playing baseball and he steps up to the plate he's only been on the plate a couple different times a couple different games and he stands up first hit just hits it. And, you know, he doesn't really know how to play baseball very well. And the coach is like, run! And so he's like, oh, okay, gotta run. And then the second game, we're sitting there, and uh now he's got like a fanfare. And Sam's like so popular and cool compared to me when I was a kid, you know. Uh, but he, and he's such a of love my boy. And uh he steps up to the plate. And before he steps up, He's got like a a whole little rally of girls behind him going, Sam, Sam, he's our man. (laughs) And I'm like, this is my boy. This is sweet. And so he steps up, and I'm like, oh, that could have flustered his thinking. And sure enough, he just pow, hits it. And I'm like, oh, run. The coach is like, run. He gets the first. He doesn't know what to do. And then the coach is like, keep running. And so he rounds his second, and we're sitting there, and I'm just like, man, I'm so, I was so proud of him. And as a dad, like, you want to be the greatest dad, you know, to your kids, and I just blew it. I forgot to say, like, how proud of I was. I've I've recorded the thing. We get in the car, though, and Sam says this. Hey, Dad, did I do good? I said, you did great. I'm so proud of you. You did so great. As a child... You want to know if you're doing good and you're seeking to please and be obedient to your parents because there's a love relationship. As a Christian, you got this issue called wealth. You've got a rival God, whether you like it or not, called mammon that wants to steal the affections of your heart, your attention, your mindset, and get you obsessed with possession. It's called coveting. And what God's trying to say to you, I want you to be like a child and trust me with your resources because that rival God's not so good. And I want you to just love to follow me and be obedient and find the praise and the admiration from me. So as a kid is our posture. A kid can't earn his way to heaven. A grown adult might think, well, I can earn my way to heaven. I can do enough good things. Kid doesn't have a chance. Jesus is trying to level with this guy. Matthew 19 17 says this, and he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? He's probing, he's asking questions. Kind of a Socratic form of leadership is a question with a question. Jesus is brilliant in that area, and he says, There is only one who is good, and I wasn't there. But I'm wondering if Jesus was like, there's only one that was good. He's pointing to himself. Jesus is the only perfect one. If you would, he's going to take him at his own game, though. If you would inner life, keep the commandments, he said to him, the rich guy says, which ones, which commandments you want me to keep? And Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus lays out several of the Ten Commandments and then mentions the greatest commandment, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. This guy's totally guilty, but he's still going to pretend to be perfect. Symptom number two is pretending to be perfect. Please, please, please help me and help your family and help your children and help your workplace. Don't ever pretend to be perfect. When you make a mistake, just own it and call it a mistake. A mistake's not necessarily a sin. You could make an honest mistake. But when you sin, violate God's ways, God's word, call it what it is, that's sin. And I'm sorry. What I said was destructive and harmful. I'm not perfect. And let me encourage you, when you confess and you acknowledge that you're not perfect, it just helps everything. You got a sweeter relationship with the Lord. You're a better person to the people around you. This guy was pretending to be perfect. Look what he says. The young man said to him, all these I have kept what do I still lack? What's next? Okay, the Sermon on the Mount actually said, again, if you have lusted in your heart after another person, that's committing adultery. The Sermon on the Mount had already said, if you got angry thoughts towards somebody else, or maybe you're delighting in evil thoughts towards somebody else, that's already the sin of like murder. So Jesus is taking a a greater approach, a more deeper approach to help people understand their imperfection so that they might turn towards him as the Savior. Jesus said to him, if you go be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven. Come follow me. Jesus is making an invitation Let's look at that passage, that next passage. is Jesus said, if you you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. There's an invitation there. There's an invitation to go and sell what he possesses and look at the relationship between giving and selling and giving away stuff, treasures in heaven. But Jesus knows this guy can't do it on his own, so he says, you can follow me. Symptom number three of that you might not be treasuring Christ above all things is when you turn away from trusting Christ. Um, This is what the guy does. He hears Jesus, but then he's going to go ahead and turn around and leave. He says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He had a lot and he didn't want to give it up. And... Anytime you turn away from trusting Christ, is your, your heart is starting to treasure something else more. Jesus is there in the flesh, God incarnate, and he's made an invitation to this guy, and the only reason he's really telling him to go and sell all of his possessions is because that is the biggest problem in this guy's life his possessions are his obsession. This is what's holding him back from experiencing God's extraordinary provision. Have you guys ever been to the dentist before when the, doc, when the dentist gets out that sharp little tool and he starts, feels like he's playing around and there's like music going on in the background and you're, I'm thinking to myself, shouldn't you be more serious when you're playing around in my mouth with that sharp little tool? And then he's having side conversations with the assistants and you're sitting there thinking, I'm I'm about to get probed. And he asks you a question as he's digging around with your teeth. He says, does that hurt? I hate that question. Because I know he's going to hit something that's really going to hurt. And finally, he kind of goes around a little further and goes, does that hurt? No. Does that hurt? No. Does that hurt? Ah! Okay, we found it. It's exactly what Jesus is doing with him. The reason why he told this guy to give away all his possessions is because this is what he idolized. Um, Jesus wants to tear down and destroy all idols in your life. Why? It's not because he's trying to rob you of something. He's actually trying to give you something better. And here, what he does with this rich young ruler is he points out this is the biggest problem spot in your life. You are obsessed with possessions. And he's going to tell him, you know, this guy can't, can't have both. And look what he does young man heard this, went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It was an invitation to trust Christ. Uh, Did this rich young ruler ever become a Jesus follower? We don't know. But right here, what we see is he chooses not a life with Christ, rejects the invitation, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. There's no repentance. There's no remorse. There's no need of a savior. He'd rather choose stuff rather than the savior. So what is Jesus doing? Jesus is inviting us to experience a better way to live. That's what he's doing. The Christian life is the best life. It's the best life for your marriage. It's the best life for your children. It's the best life for you as an employee. Uh, Generosity is incredibly important and valuable in the marketplace. You don't want to hire greedy people on your staff team. You want to hire generous people. Greedy people steal. Greedy people lie. Uh, Jesus is, is, is... Invitation into this lifestyle is not a a scam on us or a cheat or something against us. It's actually for our best. Jesus invites us to experience a better way to live. Jesus invites us to experience freedom from the tyranny of things. Look what he says No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. If money is your master, then you're constantly awake, uneasy, and it's a terrible master. Jesus is trying to challenge this guy, let me be the master. Follow me. Jesus is making an invitation to experience freedom. Jesus said stuff like, hey, I came to give life and to give it abundantly. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you what? Free. Jesus' invitation in following him is a lifestyle of freedom and joy. Jesus invites us, secondly, is invites us to experience his extraordinary provision for our needs. This rich young guy would have been challenged to trust Jesus. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor and needy, and then Jesus says, can come follow me? Well, how in the world this guy had earned his living, become very wealthy? Well, Jesus is saying, I promise I'll take care of you a promise. Just come follow me. This is what he said earlier in Matthew 6, um, or actually just a few verses later. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, uh, nor about uh, your body or what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? So what's the point? The point is, is I mean, in God's economy, people, you, me, are his most prized possession. The Bible says that he made you before the foundations of the earth. He had formed and fashioned you. His love was set on you. And that he cares about you more than the birds of the air. And you can trust him. And you are, the Bible says, is made in the image of God. That is the imago Dei in the Latin phrase. That means you're made with the greatest value, the greatest worth, and and he cares about you. And so what Jesus is inviting this rich young ruler and invites you and me is to experience extraordinary provision for our needs. Again, Jesus never commands an adult just to grow up and to keep uh, get act so big and tough and and all that. He actually challenges adults to think more and have the heart of a child. Because the heart of a child trusts in their heavenly Father. Lastly, we see that Jesus invites us to experience riches that never fail. Luke chapter 12, verse 33 through 34 says it like this. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasures in heaven that do not fail, where nor where no thief approaches, no moth destroys, for where your treasure is will your heart be also. That message about treasure was something that he consistently traveled and spoke about. And when it comes to our treasures, what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is there's a direct relationship on how we invest our time, talent, and treasure, and it connects to laying up treasures in heaven. I don't know how much longer you have to live, but I do know this, that the Bible teaches that we live for eternity, and that when we die, it'll be like one seamless transition from this life to the next. I imagine it like when we pass away, there's no holding tank or holding spot. We're in the presence of the Lord. And what the Bible teaches is that we're going to be forever with God. What Jesus has said consistently is that the way you use your money and your resources by giving and serving and all that is actually laying up some kind of treasure for you in heaven. So the idea that he wants us all to be poor is foolish because even in heaven, he's trying to help us to build up a treasure mentality. So what do you want to focus on in life? How do you lay up treasures in heaven? Storing up treasures in heaven, I think it's a first things first kind of mentality. Bible says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. First things first, we can give God the first of our time. Look carefully then how you walk, not as the unwise, but as the wise, making the best use of your time. Because the days are evil. Um, There's still a lot of good in this world, but there's still a lot of evil. And God is challenging you to make the best usage of your time. You can do a first things first, seeking first the kingdom of God by honoring the Lord with your time. Let me tell you who needs your time. Your children need your time. Your family needs your time. Your marriage needs your time. Your church needs your time. Your work needs your time. So how do you prioritize that? You have a conversation with the Lord and say, Lord, help me to prioritize my time. I care more about time than I do money at my household because time is so precious to me. And you don't know how much time you have, but your time is very, very valuable. I wanna encourage you, first things first, storing up treasure has to do with your time how you use your time, how you invest your time. You don't simply spend your time, you invest your time. Secondly, we can give God the first of our talents. So many talented people here at this church. You're made in the image of God. Every single one of you are unique. When I'm sitting out there worshiping with you guys, watching these guys play, this this guy is just drumming away. I'm like, that guy is so talented. And I'm seeing Josh sing, and he just does so easily, he's singing. That's talent. And every single one of us have a gift, a talent. Look what the scripture says as each one has received a gift. Look what it says. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. When you're using your gifts and your and your talents to serve others, you're, I assure you, you're laying up treasure in heaven because you're doing it to help other people. I like this passage in, in Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The church is the place where God wants to use your talents. Don't just give your talents. To the business world or just to your family, understand that the church is gonna hinge on you being you in this church called North Valley. So are the 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 limit of a church's vitality and vibrance and health is hinged upon when people can realize 1 Peter 4:10, as each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. We fill this place with grace when people are serving and using their talents. We, each person's different. And guest services, gifts of hospitality, teaching kids is a gift of teaching and service. Um, Helping out, maybe starting a new ministry that doesn't exist. Start that. We'll fuel that. We'll fund that. We'll do what we can Lastly, I want to challenge you to think about we can honor God and put first things first when we give God the first of our treasure. This has been very consistent with all the teaching of Jesus, and it's been consistent. And I talked last week, if you didn't hear the message, I talked about the tithe, giving 10%. It's a practice that's been happening with believers for thousands of years. This is what the Scripture says, honor the Lord with your wealth, and, tr- and with the first fruits, it's the idea of the very first of the harvest for the Israelites, that they would honor the Lord with their wealth and their first fruits. All your produce means everything that would come in in a given year. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My encouragement to you is, is to honor the Lord first. So here's my question to you. Think about it. What is God calling you and me to do First. Time, talent, treasure. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and the time being in your word. I pray that as we close out in this remaining time uh, together in worship, um, that we would just depend on you, Lord, to put first things first, to honor you and realize that it's an invitation not away from something as much as it is an invitation to someone, and that is you. So, Jesus, we thank you for your lordship over the church, for your power of salvation and your power and your grace that you extend to needy people in marriage, in singleness, with kids, with families and friends. Thank you, Lord, that you will revive us as we remain in you and you will restore us. Lord, wherever we find ourselves today, We pray that you would begin to do a little revival in our hearts. That we would treasure you above all other things. That our treasure would not simply be on this earth. But, Lord, that we would do great works to lay up treasures in heaven. And thank you, God, that you treasure more than anything our hearts. Who we are. formed, fashioned in the image of God. Loved like a heavenly father to his child. So we pray now, Lord, give us a heart of dependence and give us a heart, Lord, uh, that realizes that you can restore, redeem, renew in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.